With King Grohl and all his minions defeated, the group began to prepare their next steps. Before leaving to follow Snoke, Turnham cast Spare the Dying on Grohl. Snoke hurriedly led them through the castle, passing through a curtain into an almost completely collapsed tower, crowded with rotting crates and ancient barrels. Then, passing through a door to the east, and then another door, they entered a chamber that had been set up as a crude living space, with thick furs thrown on the floor to serve as carpets, old trophies hanging on the walls, a large bed to the north, and a brazier of coals burning brightly. A round table with several chairs stood to the south near the door. The mattress lay overturned on the floor, and one of the chairs lay toppled on the floor. Most notably was a large pool of blood filling the room, in the center of which was a dwarf, quickly identified as Gundren. "'We were too late to save him!' whined Snoke. Turnham immediately cast gentle repose on Gundren and bandaged his throat for good measure. Attilius went off to tell Lee, and Mala brought Gundren's body back to the main hall with the rest of the dead bodies. Then Mala dropped to her knees and began to pray to Agma. Turnham began to cast a ritual prayer of healing on everyone, and he noticed the symbols of his god which decorated the chamber appeared to glow briefly, adding power to his prayers. Pippin began searching Grohl's body, but did not find anything of value. "'What's he doing?' Snow gasped, regarding Pippin. "'I think I have everything of value that Grohl has right here!' Snoke held up the sack he had brought with the healing potion. There were two more potions in the sack, among the assorted silver and electrum. Attilius determined they were both potions of healing, and he stashed away one and gave the other to Mala for later use. Four goblins appeared right outside the door in the foyer with their bows aimed at the group. Lee lifted up Grohl's head from the floor and shouted at them, "'Wanna end up like this?' Snoke interjected himself. "'Wait! Stop!' he said in his most commanding voice directed at everyone. Then he shouted something in Goblin, and turned to the group and muttered, "'I told them to put down their weapons, or they're all going to die!' The goblins put down their bows. Continuing with the goblins, he told the party, "'I told them that you guys killed Grohl, and that they would surely die. I think they're afraid of you, Lee!' Turnham addressed the goblins. "'Do any of you speak common?' one of them nodded. "'What do you know about Cragmaw Castle?' Turnham continued. Snow kept translating Turnham's words to the goblins. Turnham and Lee began to argue about whether to resurrect and question Grohl, and what to ask him, and whether they should instead explore the rest of the castle. Pippin lost his patience and began to run out of the room to look for loot. Mala beat him to the door and blocked his passage. Eventually, Lee woke up Grohl. The king yelled. What were you going to do to Gundren? Turnham inquired. Lee leaned into Turnham and whispered, Don't be so loud. The drow are listening. I was going to give him to the black spider, Grohl finally replied. How long have you had him? Mala asked. Days, Grohl replied. Where is he? Uh, I'll kill you all. Lee began to threaten Grohl, suggesting they would leave him in the woods and let the crows picket him for ten days. Grohl told them to go ahead and kill him or let him die, and daring Lee to follow through on his threats and challenging him incredulously. You want a tussle? Lee eventually asked him. Yeah, let's go. One old man against another. I'm ready to die. Are you? Grohl replied eagerly. 
Pippin pulled out a sword and started prodding Grohl below the belt. Grohl got bothered and yelled, Stop it! Lee continued. There was a drow that entered the castle. Who was it? Grohl replied, You mean the black spider? I know him. Lee continued. Where is Wave Echo Cave? Grohl replied, I don't know. Then, in response to Pippin's prodding, Okay, okay, there's a map on Gundren. Attilius and Mala searched for the map on Gundren, and in the king's quarters, but they could not find any map. Meanwhile, Turnham continued the questioning. Who killed Gundren? He's dead, Grohl answered in surprise. I don't know. Maybe it was the Black Spider. Snog stuttered. Does that mean that I was face to face with the Black Spider himself? Lee interjected sarcastically. Your Majesty, I love all your comments and blibber blabber. Thanks for all your info. And offered a sarcastic bow. Then turning to Turnham, What'd you get? Turnham suggested. We should bring him back to Sildar. Everyone disagreed, suggesting that it was too dangerous to leave Grohl alive, and that there was too little benefit in dragging him all the way back to Phandalin. The argument grew heated, especially between Lee and Turinim. Eventually, Lee lost his patience and drew his bow, aiming an arrow at Grohl. Turinim tried to knock Lee's bow aside, but Lee dropped down and fired in between Turinim's legs, hitting Grohl in the chest, killing him a second time. Turinim cast Spare the Dying on Grohl again, saying, Sildar may know something. Lee retorted, If everyone disagrees, you can do it by your own. It's on your own, not by your own, Turinim replied. Honestly, grammar does not matter in this situation, Attilius interjected. Pippin started dragging Grohl's body toward the door. Lee shook his head. I'm disappointed, but you're a child. You can do whatever you want. Turinim and Lee began arguing again relentlessly. Eventually, Turinim corrected Lee's common, which was the final straw for the ranger. "'You're disagreeing with someone who's agreeing with you,' Attilius suggested. Dejected, Lee left the hall, exited the castle, circled the castle's perimeter, and then sat down on the castle's step inside the dusty canvas in the ruined tower. There, he laid Talon on his lap and communed with the sword. For hours he fell into dreams of flight, and the experience was pleasing.' Inside, Mala even chimed in. We should take the money, leave the bodies, and go. Snoke muttered to Turnham. Turry, Lee's right. Turnham finally conceded. Fine, let's go out. Pippin had begun investigating a stone brazier that contained a mound of coal, suggesting we should light the torch. Turnham disagreed. No, we should not light it. I'm in agreement with Pippin. Let's do it. Attilius added. At this, they lit the brazier with a torch, but nothing noticeable happened. Pippin then went through the curtains into the northern tower of the castle. Mala, Turinim, and Attilius followed, leaving Snog in the hall with the goblins and the bodies. There, they found a stone altar standing in the middle of the room, covered with blood-stained black cloth. Carefully arranged on top of the altar were golden ritual implements, a chalice, a knife, and a censer which Pippin and Mala determined were human-made and valuable. Mala put them in her pack for storage. Attilius and Turnham recognized the drawings of the goblin's bestial god on the blood-stained black cloth, and concluded that this place was used for sacrifices. 
Mala removed the bloodstained black cloth from the altar and saw, carved in the bloodstained altar, symbols of the same gods as were depicted in the hall. She declared that these sacrilegious rituals were defiling the gods of knowledge and good, and proceeded to clean the blood off the altar with her robes. The blood began to rub away, but the stains were extensive, and there were many layers. Mala, Turnham, and even Pippin chipped in, noticing that Lady Luck was also depicted there, and they poured water from their skins onto the altar to help clean it. After a long while, the altar was finally cleaned. When they were done, they all felt better about the situation, especially Mala, who had received visions of this place from Ogma during her meditations, and was on a personal mission to reconsecrate the defiled altar. Turinum and Attilius left to explore the perimeter of the castle, while Pippin continued to examine the hall and the shrine, feeling that there must be more treasure to be found. Exhausted with the search, Pippin and Mala began to explore the rest of the castle. They made their way to the storeroom, where they found old casks of salted meat and sacks of rotting grain. Among the supplies, Mala found a bloody suit of chainmail, a heavy crossbow, and an unsheathed longsword with the emblem of Neverwinter worked into its hilt. Examining the casks, Pippin found one with an unusual scent. While Mala was investigating the gear, he tasted it and liked it. He took a long drink and felt unusually invigorated. Looking through the door in the west wall, they saw a barracks with four plain straw pallets and bedrolls lined up on the floor, and brackets on the walls holding a number of weapons, spears, swords, morning stars, and more. The north wall showed signs of damage, but the floor was swept clean of rubble. As they were bringing all the gear and weapons back to the main hall, Attilius and Turinim returned from exploring the tower's perimeter. "'What did you find?' Attilius asked. Pippin replied, "'We found a long sword from Neverwinter, a heavy crossbow, a bloody suit of chainmail, and some other weapons.' Looking into a small room, where the archers were posted, they found some quivers of arrows, which they also retrieved. Heading south, they passed through the southwest tower of the castle, which was little more than a heap of rubble. Several ragged bedrolls were scattered across the remaining floor space, and a small twisting passage led east through the ruins. They continued through the rubble into what must once have been the castle's large banquet hall, with a soaring ceiling twenty-five feet high. Two large wooden tables with plain benches stood in the middle of the room, and a brass brazier full of glowing coals was tucked into one corner. Dirty dishes, half-full stew pots, moldy heels of bread, and gnawed bones covered the tables. Investigating, Pippin noticed that there was still some meat on the bones, what kind he could not tell, but he concluded that it looked like chicken. Tasting it, he concluded that it also tasted like chicken. Moving through the halls, they passed through an area with a stone brazier full of glowing coals and four straw pellets lined up along the east wall. To the south, a barred wooden door stood open, and a curtain hung in an archway to the north. A putrid stench came from the southeast tower with the barred door. Moving cautiously into the tower, they saw that the upper floors of this tower were collapsed, creating a hollow silo at least thirty feet high. The upper reaches of the room were lost in shadows. Dust, rubble, and broken glass covered the floor, and old work tables and empty bookshelves lie strewn to the south. In the middle of the room, they saw a large pile of poop. Examining it, Pippin concluded that it was chicken poop, from a very large chicken. They headed north, 
until they were back into the room where they had found Gundren's body. Then they headed back to the hall where Snoke and the other goblins were still waiting. Snoke told Turinim that he had looked through all the bodies. Did you find anything? Turinim asked. I noticed a goblin who was not dead, and I put it out of its misery, Snoke replied. But that was all. I bet that they had no money because King Grohl took it all. Turinim went to try and make peace with Lee, but soon returned alone. Then they went back to the southeast tower. With Turinim shining his light in the tower, Pippin spotted a jagged ledge fifteen feet up the tower wall. They leaned the bookshelves against the wall and Pippin climbed up as high as he could get, but he still could not reach the ledge. Turinim easily walked to the top of the bookshelf and lifted Pippin up until he could reach over the ledge. Feeling with his hand, Pippin found a small chest and pulled it down, passing it to Turinim. Reaching for the chest, Turinim dropped Pippin and the chest, but Pippin leaped down and caught the chest before it hit the floor. Returning to the hall, Pippin opened the unlocked chest. They found piles of electrum and gold, a potion, a large diamond, and a small plain wooden box. Attilius investigated the potion and concluded that it was another potion of healing. Pippin examined the box and opened it. Inside he found a swab of cotton. He noticed that when he put it in his ear, he could not hear anything in that ear. With Lee still meditating, they decided to take a short rest to recuperate. When they were done, Attilius cast Detect Magic. He sensed magic on the potions he and Mala carried, his staff, an unidentified wand, and a jar he also retrieved from Glassstaff's quarters. The cotton swab and the diamond they had just found, and something in the stone brazier. Announcing his findings, Pippin searched through the coals of the brazier and found a gold statuette under the brazier, still wrapped in unburned crimson cloth. Attilius detected the statuette was imbued with divination magic. Attilius then cast Identify on the cotton swab, which could be used to cast Silence on a 20-foot radius sphere, the diamond, which could be used to cast Revivify, and the statuette, which could be used to cast Augury by any person, but only once, and only within close proximity to the shrine. Can't we use Augury to determine whether we can revive Gundren? Attilius asked which prompted a 30-minute debate on how to ask the question. Eventually, Turinim took the statuette and asked, Is it a good idea to use Revivify to revive Gundren? And he felt good feelings about it. With that, Turinim used the diamond and cast Revivify. The symbols of the gods in the hall glowed briefly, lending power to the spell. Hey, vey! What a pain in the neck! Hey, I know you guys! You're Sildar's friends, who were supposed to bring my supplies to Vandalin. Did you make it all right? What a time I've had. I feel like death. What happened to you? Turinim and Attilius asked him. Well, I never made it to Vandalin myself. We were ambushed on the way by no good goblins, he said, casting a suspicious eye at the goblins in the room. They beat me up, and they brought me to their leader. A big bugbear. Then some hobgoblins came and brought me here. They vaunted my map. They tortured me for days. They vaunted to know if anyone else knew the way to the entrance of the long-lost Vave Echo Cave, site of the mines of Fandelva's Pact. But only me and my brothers, Thorin and Andrew, know the way. Eventually a drow, the black spider himself, came for me. 
but Grohl didn't want to hand me over. He wanted more gold for me. They argued. The black spider said Grohl's allegiance would be rewarded, but his insolence would be punished. But Grohl was not scared in his own castle. Then a man came and was brought in to see Grohl and the black spider. He seemed friendly with the black spider. What did he look like? asked Attilius suspiciously. He was a big human with armor and two long swords. Ivor, the group exclaimed. This guy told Grohl that the castle was about to be attacked, that a group had slain scores of hobgoblins outside the castle, and that they were about to lay siege to the castle. This man said that Grohl must act fast and set an ambush if he hoped to survive the assault. Then Grohl said he had to prepare and left me with the man and the black spider. Then the strangest thing happened. This Ivor guy says to the black spider, I'm going to stay with you, sister. And let me tell you, the black spider ain't no one's sister. And then the black spider said, No, brother, you go and report back. I'll take care of things here. And then they hugged, like they was family. And I was also wondering, who is they going to report to? I thought the black spider is the boss. And then what happened? Attilius asked eagerly. And then the black spider slit my throat. And you know, my throat is still pretty sore. Does anyone have a lozenge? Turnham cast cure wounds on Gundren. Ah, that's much better. I owe you one. Part 2 The half-elf male bard, Albrecht Engelhart, had recently left the city of Neverwinter towards Neverwinter Woods in search of his fiancée, Edith Lestrange, his only clue being a drow in a red cloak. By evening, Albrecht approached what looked like a town from the distance, but he knew were the ruins of Thundertree. Gradually the trail became an old overgrown lane winding between dilapidated buildings choked with vines and brush. In the middle of the settlement rose a steep hill upon which stood a stone tower with a partially collapsed roof and an adjoining cottage. A dirt road hugged the base of the hill and wound its way between old stone houses, many of which were roofless ruins, with interiors open to the weather. Other buildings appeared more or less intact. The whole place was eerily silent. A wooden sign was nailed to a post nearby. It read, Danger! Plant monsters and zombies! Turn back now! Albrecht wandered around the winding lane, looking around at the buildings in various stages of ruin. He approached a small house that appeared to be in better condition than the ruined and dilapidated structures nearby. The doors were reinforced with heavy iron bands, and thick shutters protected the windows. He tried the door, but it wouldn't open, even after he tried to break it down. He found another building, where the doorways were open except for a thick tangle of webs blocking their entry. He tried to cut the webs down with his rapier, but found that the webs were too thick. Moving on, he found a small building with open doorways leading into the darkness within. Entering stealthily, he heard dry husky moans and barely made out two humanoid shapes rise from the ground and approach him slowly. As they approached the light from the doorway, he could make out their features of ashy corpses. "'Get back, you foul beasts!' he declared, and stuck the creature with his rapier. 
His rapier plunged into the closest one, but the creature kept staggering towards him. As he pulled out his rapier, a small plume of ash erupted from where he had pierced the zombie. The creature slashed at Albrecht with his claws, ripping into his flesh. Albrecht responded by casting Thunder Wave. A loud boom shook the area, and the zombies went flying back into the building. A cloud of smoke and ash drifted from the building's two doorways. Still hearing movement from within the building, Albrecht moved on before they could catch up with him. He approached a ruined shop with cluttered and sagging storage shelves and broken furniture. Shards of glass and pieces of pottery glinted in the weeds and rubble next to rotted books and casks. Seeing nothing of interest, he moved on. He approached a large, sagging and dilapidated building with a weathered signboard by the door showing the faded image of a workhorse holding a flagon of ale. The door was locked, but pushing against it, the door gave in to his weight. Again he heard the familiar moans, and he backed up as two zombies staggered out of the building. Albrecht drew his rapier again and faced the closest zombie, which knocked his thrust aside and swung his claws at the bard. Circling away out of the zombie's reach, Albrecht accidentally moved into the reach of the other zombie, who raked his flesh brutally. As he turned, he could see two more zombies were staggering from the building. Realizing he was outmatched, he moved away and began to flee, relieved that at least he was much faster than the undead. He tried to hide in the ruins of a cottage that looked as though it might have been the home of a prosperous shopkeeper or well-off farmer, but now all that remained was the collapsed walls and piles of debris. Then he heard a slithering movement coming from several young trees that had grown up in the midst of the ruins. Not daring to take on another threat in his exhausted state, he fled to a nearby identical cottage. Almost immediately he heard the same slithering movement and fled again. As he ran, he saw that the zombies were just turning the corner, approaching the ruins. On the east side of town, the lane opened up to form a small square. Several ruined buildings surrounded the south side of the square, but a larger intact structure to the north looked like a barracks. In the middle of the square, leaning to one side ever so slightly, was a weathered wooden statue of a warrior clutching a spear and shield. Albrecht moved to the top of the hill, where a round tower stood with a cottage attached. Both appeared to be in good condition, although half of the tower's roof was gone. A door led into the cottage, and several arrow-slit windows were visible in the tower. Albrecht noticed an acrid smell permeating the air. Then he saw the corpses of two hideous giant spiders sprawled near the edge of the pathway, apparently dragged there. Their bloated bodies were puckered and blistered, and appeared to have been mauled by a large animal. Albrecht circled around to the back of the cottage, where he found another door. As he reached for the doorknob, he heard a voice from the woods. I wouldn't go in there if I were you. The voice was that of an old man, and turning to the woods, he saw a gaunt, white-bearded human. One who struggles against zombies would not want to face the dragon. What? Albrecht replied. There's a dragon in there. Yes, a young one, but a dragon nonetheless. Well then, thank you for the warning. I am Albrecht Engelhardt of Neverwinter. Who are you? the bard asked. I am Rydoth, answered the old man. Can you help me, Rydoth? Help you with what? All your problems seem to be of your own making. None of these monsters were stirring until you aroused them. Exasperated, Albrecht conceded the point. You are right, 
but at the moment I'm still bleeding. Why don't you rest in my place? I'll let you in this time, responded the old man. They returned to the house that Albrecht had previously been unable to enter. While Albrecht rested in the cozy cottage, Rydoth prepared a salad for the two of them. As they ate, Albrecht told Rydoth his tale of losing Edith Lestrange and the... They returned to the house that Albrecht had previously been unable to enter. While Albrecht rested in the cozy cottage, Rydoth prepared a salad for the two of them. As they ate, Albrecht told Rydoth his tale of losing Edith Lestrange and of the drow with the red cloak. "'What will you do if you find this drow?' Rydoth challenged. "'Surely you will need to show more skill than you did against some zombies.' "'I don't know. But what choice do I have?' Albrecht replied. "'I suggest a more strategic approach,' Rydoth chided. "'Don't be so hasty to enter into a fight unless you know you can win.' I'm sure someone with your skills could take out all the zombies in these ruins. Really? Albrecht remarked. And how do you think I could do that? Did you notice how easy it was for you to get away from those zombies? You are much faster than they are. Did you notice how relentlessly they pursued you? Why don't you round them all up and hit them with your thunder wave? Oh, replied Albrecht. I hadn't thought of that. When you're feeling up to it, why don't you give it a try? Rydoth suggested. After a while, Rydoth led Albrecht around, showing him the three places where zombies were located. Albrecht got their attention and rounded them up, eleven zombies in all. He led them to the town square and waited for them all to be in range of his spell, but out of reach. Finally, he cast Thunderwave with a loud boom that pushed all the zombies back from him. Huge plumes of smoke and ash were washed off the zombies, so much that it appeared they might evaporate altogether, but they did not. Instead, they all recovered and continued to stagger back towards the bard. "'Can you do that again?' Rydoth asked, and Albrecht nodded in affirmation, circling away from them and maneuvering them into position again. He cast another thunder wave, but this time he cast it a little too fast and the damage was not as great. Again the zombies were pushed back, and they fell to the floor, and again ash billowed from their husks. But then they began to stir, and they all began to rise once more. "'Can you do that again?' Rydoth asked again. But this time Albrecht shook his head. "'I am depleted.' "'Then stand back!' commanded Rydoth. And while Albrecht ran for cover, Rydoth took his place and cast his own thunder wave. This time the blast dissipated the zombies entirely, and they were gone." Why don't you rest? You can try that again. There's some mutated vegetation inhabiting these ruins. Albrecht took another rest in Rydoth's cottage. When he was fully recuperated, Rydoth showed him the places... Albrecht took another rest in Rydoth's cottage. When he was fully recuperated, Rydoth showed him five buildings where twig blights had grown. Albrecht carefully entered each, moving away quickly before any could reach him. Eventually, twenty-two twig blights were following him into the town square. When Albrecht cast his thunder wave, they all turned to twigs, like a little pig's wooden house. Afterwards, they returned to Rydoth's house. You know, I have heard of drow wandering in Neverwinter Wood of late. 
but it is getting dark. Why don't you rest here for the night? In the morning, go to the woods and look for a squirrel with white fur. This squirrel will take you to where the drow were last seen. Albrecht agreed. The next morning, Albrecht awoke and he was alone. He ate the salad Rydoth had apparently left for him and headed off to the woods. When he got to the border, he saw a squirrel with white fur cross his path and he followed it. They traveled along the border of the woods, sometimes entering the woods and then coming back out again. Sometimes the squirrel would disappear for hours at a time and Albrecht continued on in the same general direction. Then the squirrel would reappear. One time in the woods, Albrecht took out his viol to relieve the boredom of the journey. Immediately the squirrel climbed a tree and onto an extended branch near Albrecht's face. It began to make a noise, and then Albrecht promptly put his viol away and continued on in silence. Albrecht made a camp on the border of the woods and slept without incident, confident that no harm would come to him. In the morning the squirrel led him much deeper into the woods. Finally, in the middle of the second day after leaving Thundertree, he came upon the Cragmaw Castle clearing. The squirrel was nowhere to be found, and Albrecht knew that this was the place. While spying on the place from the wood, he saw a canvas part in the side of the ruined castle, revealing a hidden entrance. 